Hey, folks, we're going to get to the episode in just a minute. I just wanted to acknowledge what a tough time this is for all of us. We've all been asked to make sacrifices for the common good. And for some of us, the sacrifices are just extraordinary. At its best, Max Fund Drive is a demonstration of what we can do when we come together. And that's worth celebrating right now. We wanted to take this opportunity to come together as a community of tens of thousands of people who rely on each other to make some magical stuff happen in the world. Joining Max Fun is quick and easy. All you have to do is visit MaximumFun.org slash join, and you'll see all the different levels and the thank you gifts that we offer with each. You'll get all the great bonus content, which is now actually a pretty large library, at just $5 per month. At $10 per month, you get to choose a cool enamel pin from your favorite show, and you'll have the option to purchase others with proceeds from additional pins going to charity. At $20 a month, you get the MaxFun Custom Game Pack with MaxFun Dice and a velvet bag with the Rocket logo, and a deck of custom MaxFun playing cards with podcast-inspired designs. Check out all of this and more at MaximumFun.org slash join. And don't forget to check the little box that says, We Got This. That's how they know that you're supporting our show. And now, without further ado... Please enjoy this episode of We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's my line. Oh, sorry. You want to say it? No, no. I'm glad you said it. It needed to be said. It did. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Beatles album. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Hey, Hal. Yeah? Look out the window. Here comes the sun. Little da, 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 wow, da, I looked, I actually looked at You actually did look, I'm, I know, we're doing this I mean, for visually that. as well as audio Just on Zoom. Okay, who was that? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that they were doing a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our guest, the wonderful Molly Lewis. What's up, Molly? Uh, I know how to make an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> very, very quietly, like... You're like the, if you build it, he will come voice. That's how you make an entrance. Is this not yeah. one of those ASMR podcasts? Was they not supposed to mumble? I... <laughs> yeah. Would you mind crinkling a bag during this whole thing? I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to rub this blush brush all over my mic through the whole recording session. <laughs> Which would not surprise me if that is something that one of the Beatles did in one of their later sessions where they were like, this sounds like it could be a musical instrument. Oh, the Beatles? <laughs> I love the Beatles. Wait. Oh, yeah. I, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should talk about the Beatles. I mean, it's the only way to appease Ethan Jones from Facebook who asked this. Thank you, Ethan Jones, for the topic. This has been a fun dive for me for the past week because I've always been a Beatles fan as a like a pedestrian fan of the Beatles, but to really dive into all of these albums is this week was a lot of fun. Molly, are you, are you say, I'm a Beatles fan. Are you a big Beatles fan, in fact? Yeah, I've been listening to the Beatles since I was five, I think. Because I, I started with the Red Album and Anthology 3 mm-hmm. and worked my way towards the center. Wow. <laughs> just like a like, corn cob <laughs> music. Anthology 3, was that all of just them counting off one, two, three, four at the beginning of a track? Yeah, it was a lot of them forgetting how to play guitar and <laughs> sing at the same time. And then just George being pensive on guitar by himself and then John and Paul f***ing around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that Beatles anthology, by the time they got to the later Beatles anthologies, I was like, guys, the, there's a reason 
these did not make the cut. Yeah, it was like as a kid, it was like getting the egg and the chicken, and then having to figure out how the two were related. <laughs> um, did you, did you go ahead? Oh I'll no, speak. please! <laughs> oh, well, we're trying to. Are we trying to squeeze through a podcast door at the same time? Can we are. You edit this out. I will break your thumbs. I will the make it impossible. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask if how much of an influence the Beatles were in you deciding to go into music. It was very, very much an influence on me. Thank you for asking. How you're welcome. Because it it was well, because I heard Yellow Submarine, like some kids at my grade school did it in like that sort of pantomime grade school talent show way, mm. and that stuck. It just because it, it was a kids song, but it wasn't even vaguely educational, and that was really refreshing. <laughs> uh, and then I heard Help on a GTE commercial, and I asked my mom, "Who is that band?" And she went, "That's the Beatles. Same ones at Yellow Submarine. Yeah, that's them. Can we see them in concert? Well, n- no, hon, we can't. <laughs> but here's the Red Album." It was sort of weird to, it felt like being friends with a time traveler a little bit because mm. there were these sort of fresh faced lads from Liverpool and then these crotchety dudes on Anthology 3. Yeah. And they were still like messing things up. And that, to have that be your introduction to the Beatles of like, oh yeah, they're, they're kind of goof ups like the rest of us. It was sort of my first insight into what songwriting and sort of song production is mm-hmm. like. I love that yeah. that mentality of it, that it's like, yeah, these guys are going to mess up. They're going to try recipes that do not work for certain songs. After you could not see them in concert, where did you start? Were you a fan of their earlier rock and roll stuff? Did you like the concept albums? What was your thing? It Well, the Red album is like, it was that was like a compilation that was put out. It was like, what, 63 to 66 or yeah, something? It's, that's, that's the them looking over the thing. Little, just little babies, just yeah, little babies yeah. just singing their teeny bobber songs. And that was, I definitely like danced to those as a kid. I found those mm-hmm. danceable in whatever <laughs> capacity I find anything danceable as the <laughs> hippest <laughs> person alive. But it was, it was just, it was nice to, the thing about the Beatles that's so interesting is they were active when the album was changing shape anyway. And so they mm-hmm. experienced this to look at all of their albums. Like I, I also did this week. It's just a real interesting study. Like their creative growth is so clear. And I think some yeah. of that is sort of, they've had sort of the Walt Disney kind of hagiography around them. Yeah. Of like these four lads who were the silver beetles <laughs> and then they were the beetles and then they took some drugs and brought up stuff. Like there's, I know that the beats of the Beatles story and project right. it onto their songs, but also their songs are just kind of bops, uh, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think Lennon McCartney. Maybe the greatest songwriting team of all time. There's definitely stiff competition, but also I think everybody listens to the Beatles and as a fan goes through a phase where you like the early stuff first because it's, well, it is the least complex. And then you sort of grow up with their sound changing with you. But also it could be broken down into which drugs you like to do. So if you're way into speed, you like their early <laughs> stuff. And then if you're into weed, you like their, the sort of the middle and then you get into the harder yeah. stuff and you're, you're mm-hmm. moving towards like magical mystery tour and white album and, mm-hmm. and Sgt. Peppers and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. is some complexity too complex that you're like, if you like the simpler songs, listen to their early stuff. Is there a cutoff point that the Beatles had that was like, okay, that is the right amount of complex. Oh, they're still, they're still go. Okay. Uh, guys, guys, the less. Okay. Sure. Number sure. nine. Are you sure? Queasy Number nine. Chicken. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, the Lennon McCartney thing, I remember noticing that really quickly because they were always, that was their gist, right? Was that they, 
Lennon and McCartney, regardless of who really had authorship of a song, they would be credited yep. as a duo. But then that made me listen out for like, well, what is the McCartney sound and what is the Lennon sound? Because the George mm-hmm. Harrison sound is very clear mm-hmm. and very distinct. And I'm yeah. a bit of a George Harris stan myself. Sure. A ukulele player, you gotta. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like listening for what authors, like what does the voice of a songwriter sound like? How is that distinct? Was a big deal for me. I wanted to ask actually what our personal sort of Beatles preferences are. Like we can't do Kill America, America. There's four of them, but could we do like True. Hold, Thrill, Kiss, Kill? Oh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, hold, that, thrill. Which Beatle would you hold, Thrill, Kiss, and Kill? Oh, man. I got to... Ken, you can delete some of this part because I'm writing down hold, kill... You're, putting out, you're, making, you're writing your mash paper out like you're Janice. Yeah. Say when. <laughs> I think I would want to hold Ringo. Yeah. yeah. He seems the cuddliest, although... I mean, now... Among the things he's known for is now uh, no more autographs, peace and love, like him telling his fans, quit sending me stuff. I'm not going to sign anything else ever. Again, because yeah. I'm that's what happens busy. when the world's sweetest guy snaps. Yeah, yeah. He ends it with of, peace and love. Fear the anger of a patient man. Yeah, his yeah. his Twitter is mostly emojis. <laughs> like, sorry about little Richard. Peace and love. Heart, heart. Peace sign. <laughs> oh, I love that about. It. He's the heart. He's literally the heartbeat of the band. And he has a whole he... sequence in the Hard Day's Night movie where he's just sad by the river by himself. Like, who wouldn't want to hold that? Yeah, a good portion of that movie is let's cheer up Ringo. I mean, that's the entire Aww. if I fell is like them chasing him around. It's like, I don't want to play the or whatever. <laughs> Peace and law. I don't want to play the drums. I'm not interested anymore. Any drums sent to me will be tossed. I'm warning you with peace and love. Bogo up with the drums, yeah. <laughs> the drums. Do you think he, when he writes those emoji tweets, do you think they take him 30 seconds? Or do you think he spends like 15 minutes plus? Like, what is the right emoji? <laughs> yeah, he like, writes like three words. And then picks the perfect emoji for the paragraph he just wrote. Yeah. He writes yeah, a full blown statement and then uses the corrective <laughs> thing on the, like, where Apple will be like, oh, you word, did you mean to turn it into emoji for plane? Like, oh, yes, I did. But, 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 and then it just boils it into this tweet bullion. <laughs> he only writes in wingdings now that's his official oh. font for everything wingdings. a little english yeah i love wingdings just... that's my favorite font <laughs> any wingdings sent my way will not be tossed <laughs> everyone that he sits down to record with is like oh hang on all right let me put it in my computer change the font okay now we can record <laughs> he signs his checks in wingdings somehow yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, his, his signature now is just mailbox facing left, mailbox facing right, mailbox facing left with flag up. Drum with drumsticks. <laughs> yeah. <That's our> boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're holding Ringo. Are we deciding this collectively? Yeah. I, I wanted to know your personal preference, but yes, we should get oh. some sort of consensus as soon as possible. I mean, ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We kill John Lennon. Yep. <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, you know, because of, uh, because of the voices in our head telling us mm-hmm. to. Right. No, entirely too soon. That's horrible. No, that's too soon. Uh, I don't want to kill any of them. You can't kill a beat. Uh, maybe, maybe Pete Best, not a great drummer. No, I think, I think that you do kill John. He certainly had the, he reformed, you know, I used yeah. to be cruel to my woman, a beater, and kept her from the things that he loves. But also yeah. he beat his woman and kept her from the things that she loved. True. Uh, I, this I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so kill John, hold Ringo. Oh God. Uh, thrill George? Ki- kiss, yeah, thrill George and kiss Paul. Thrill George and kiss Paul. Yeah. Paul's adorable. Yeah. That's a cute one. Uh, okay. I, I feel 
I feel centered in this. Yeah. I feel we are the qualified people Great. to yeah. determine the best Beatles album. <laughs> Does that mean the episode's over? Did we do it? No, we're we talking about albums. Best um, Beatles. Oh, oh, album. Oh, I have like there are a few that I would put as the top album. I'm curious mm-hmm. what like for me. It's I want every song to be a either like a banger slash bop or one that I enjoy listening to. There are some albums that are, are considered by some to be their top album by like a large group of people that there are tracks on it or a single track that is almost unlistenable to me that throws it off. Because Does one, will one track make it like, will one track eliminate that album for you? Their music is so good. It doesn't eliminate it. I mean, it's, they're still all very good. None of them are bad albums, mm-hmm. but when they have as many great songs as they do, you could have one wh- that may not have the best song they ever recorded or the most complex song they ever recorded, but it's still overall a better album, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Before we tackle like which might be the best Beatles albums, what do we mm-hmm. think makes a solid album? Certainly the bop, bops to clunkers ratio is mm-hmm. important. I think there ought to be sort of a beginning, middle and end for lack of a, but like it should be aware of the tonal mm-hmm. sort of shift between tracks, like the track saying, should be sort of thoughtfully constructed. Yeah, I'm all for dynamics, whether mm-hmm. that is in how you choose which instruments are going to be played on a given track, how you space them out on an album. When you swing for the fences with something crazy like a giant medley on side two, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just make it original. That's my thing is like, if it, it doesn't have to be perfect as long as it's original. Mm-hmm. I think the songs should sound like they, because I mumbled my way into the room and through what I imagine would have been my introduction. Um, <laughs> by the way, this is musician Molly Lewis, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. Um, yeah, because I've made albums that are like live albums and I've made albums that are like collections of singles, but mm-hmm. I have. But making an album is a choice at this point. Like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of neat thing about looking at the Beatles' catalog is they, they presided over a fundamental sort of rethinking of what an album was. Like, their mm-hmm. early stuff was just, you know, they had a couple singles on there and the rest were mostly like covers because they just needed to mm-hmm. justify filling up the LP sides right. with something. And by sort of the middle towards the end of their career, the album was sort of an art object. It was sort of an an intentional thing Mm -hmm. that had sort of a train of thought through it, I guess. And like now the album is a choice. It's it's just sort of a you don't have to. Nobody has to. Physical media is not a thing anymore. So there's no limit on what an album, how many songs that contains. Right. And yeah, the Beatles, like I, I think that you have to sort of not agree with like how the tracks are ordered but like there have been a couple that we listened that i listened through this week where the album ended and i went that's it that's the one you ended on guys like yeah there's sort of a you should consider like the long form experience of listening to it as well as the individual songs you know and for the time that it was released the double-sided experience of it that that is that at Mm -hmm. some point there's an intermission Mm -hmm. the last song of side one doesn't immediately begin side two yeah, you got to get up and flip that thing over. Yeah, which is yeah, that's right. yeah, that's your moment. And then when you sit back down and start the new side, you are rewarded with here's a new interesting thing. Mm-hmm. You're almost making two smaller albums in that mm-hmm. way. Like, a little bit. And they're early albums, and I, I feel like this may have stopped around Rubber Soul, maybe even Help, maybe even an album or two before that was mm-hmm. whoever was putting out the album just told them what to do. Like this mm-hmm. is the order they're going at it. But they had no control over it because they weren't the Beatles yet. They were a band that was lucky to have an album 
that right. then became a huge hit. So then the next thing the record company wants to do is let's do that again. This is what worked last time. Let's do it again. Which they were doing all the way up through. Yeah. And then as they branch out, they have a little more control mm-hmm. and there's a little more artistry to it. And by the time you get to Sergeant Pepper, which is really a response to pet sounds, it feels a lot of it is like Paul is full on trying to put together something very specific and convincing everybody else to join him. And they're also, I think, the whole time just throwing spaghetti at the wall and George Martin is like sweeping it into a pan and then folding it into like (laughs) braiding it into something legible. Oh, yeah. I'd love to take a look as we go through these albums. I think it would be fun to do it chronologically because you mentioned, you said before, Molly, you know the beats of their career and why certain things sound the way that they do. Yeah, a little bit. I think that is sort of fun trivia for us, but I think the album should be good freestanding of... Oh, of course. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be like, well, this is when they were at their peak, so it's their best one. So let's start toward the very beginning. They team up with George Martin in 1962. Ringo is added to the band. Love Me Do is their first single that drops in October of 62. And then Please Please Me, their first album, released February 1963, where they recorded famously 10 songs in one 13-hour session. That album is... The feat that creating that album is, is something. Mm -hmm. But it's also just kind of... It's just their set, isn't it? Yeah. They're basically just doing a set and it's being recorded. Basically. And they... Yeah, the live shows they were doing were the rehearsal for this album and no before or after. And there's not like... I don't want to hold cover songs against any musician, but like, I think if a good album is like an expression of what that band is capable of and what their big artistic statement is, I don't think this is on the leaderboard. No. Mm -hmm. And following that was, uh, are we looking at with the Beatles or meet the Beatles? I'm looking at with the Beatles. I'm using Beatlesbible.com as my reference. So yes, same. You're going British version. Yes. Core catalog. Yeah. So with the Beatles comes out next. It knocks Please Please Me out of the number one slot where it had been for 30 weeks. Beatlemania is in full effect at this point. It was also first album that called them the Fabulous Foursome in the liner notes, thus giving them their nickname of the Fab Four. And it was George Harrison's first song on that album. Again, though, that was a cover, wasn't it? It's like Leave Me Alone or something. What was the name of it? Leave Me Alone. The Michael Jackson song? You did it first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Leave Me Alone. (laughs) Yeah. Don't bother me. You mean? Don't bother me. That's it. <laughs> Are you my mother? Yes. Is my mother reincarnated as you? Yes. Yes. So who's that guy from that thing I like? Oh, Can you uh, imagine yeah. being a teenager in 1963 and just bumping Don't Bother, Don't bother me, me as loud as you can? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How good that must have felt. Rolling down the uh, street. I, I honestly, but clearly from my uh, misnaming of it, I didn't know this song before listening to this album this week. Right. I think almost every Beatles album, I think you could almost go from like the first, if the first track doesn't have like a signature, this is one of the few songs that starts with vocals. They, mm-hmm. they go pure vocals before they go to instrumentals and everything else is either like feedback or, or a short riff or something. So I think that, mm-hmm. that for me would take this out, even though there are some great early Beatles songs, there's still a lot of covers on this one too. What is the standout? What's sort of the, the gem in this sand? Oh, man. In your, in in your with, opinion. And with the Beatles? Yeah. Like what's sort of the, I don't want to say the justifiable, like, but what, what sort of emerges from? I'll tell you the one that emerges specifically for me, but this might be just specific to me. And that is Till There Was You because they put a show tune on the album and I'm a big show tunes fan. So yeah. 
The fact that they did their version of a song from The Music Man. That Their version, that's the key, because some yeah. of these are just kind of just basically what Buddy Holly or Chuck Berry or whoever they took right. the song from. Just, just louder. Yeah, they're doing like, yeah. you know, rock karaoke, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, I, that's, I think, I agree. The Tiller with you, I think, is the bop. Yeah. Hey, all right. Yeah. That was a really good one. I, I, I like All My Loving, which is, which is an original by them. And then for a couple, I actually like their Please Mr. Postman. It's not a great, it's, I mean, the original's way better, but I do Mm -hmm. like their version of, there's like a desperation to their young voices because it was like, Mm -hmm. we've got nothing left. We haven't learned how to vocally support ourselves at all. So it always feels like, Especially John, it feels like he's about to lose his voice. Yeah. Every single track he's singing on. And that one, that, please, Mr. Postman, like that just strain on his voice. I don't, I, yeah. I dig it. I just dig it. They're yeah. smoking like chimneys at this point, too. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. the 60s. So many cigarettes. This does feel like pure early rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Just guys who mm-hmm. were fans of American rock and roll and just doing their thing. Loud club style and maybe a better. Do you think this is a better version of it or please, please me again? Please, please me is a great feat, but I don't know if it's the best. You know, you know what I mean? There are different kinds of albums like please, please me is almost a live album, but without Mm -hmm. feeding off the live energy of an audience. Right. You know, it's a live album plus desperation and containment. Uh, which is a 2020 mood if ever i've heard one desperation and containment the live album yeah that's like their one shot if it doesn't work Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee they're going to do anything else so they sort of go for broke on it which is kind of nice yeah but please please me sounds like you know some children locked in a garage with uh, some tape recorders whereas this sounds more like the beatles when i think of the beatles it sounds like sort of their their style and yeah, it's enhanced I by i think if you picture a stadium full of young women screaming under every track then they'd make a little more sense too i think <laughs> sure that's true following that then we got a bunch of malarkey for a little while that's introducing the beatles meet the beatles twist and shout the beatles second album have you heard of the beatles yet yeah Please buy the beatles, <laughs> the beatles. <laughs> surprise the beatles hey our label beatles has song. the beatles too <laughs> the beatles did you know beatles christmas album just kidding it's the same beatles songs the Beatles Christmas album is like the Star Wars Christmas special of rock albums. I'm just going to cut on the record and say it. Oh, God. <laughs> then they got a little cynical after that. In December of 64, Beatles for Sale comes out. Not cynical, but it's fewer love songs. It's uh... Are we just glossing over Hard Day's Night? We're considering it a film soundtrack, but it is great. Like it's, I mean, I totally, I, you know what? I somehow looked past Hard Day's Night incorrectly if you want an album with that's full i think this meets the criteria of everything's either a banger or listenable a hard day's night yeah, yeah. there's no true clunkers there's like bops and there's songs and then there's clunkers and this is either <laughs> right. bops or songs yeah uh, but it is also i think more mark do you have the wikipedia up no i've got i i this this is just notes that i took beatles bible doesn't have information on authorship but i think there are some cover songs on this one as well in hard days and night i think maybe the u.s version has kansas city hey 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 on it i think so which is a cover but the british version is all it's i'll be back you can't do oh can't do that that's one of theirs when i get home things we said today i'll cry instead and it's oh, all this actually somehow i don't have this in my notes but this was one of the things that i did see a hard day's night is the first album that is all them ah right. okay yeah and it has like some of their signature early songs as can't buy me love hard day's night obviously and if i fell are probably the three best known 
off of this album, but they're all really like just when you think the album's going to sort of drop. Like I don't think this album has any more in the tank. The next one is good. They are somewhat similar to one another. A lot of the songs feel somewhat similar. Maybe that's a strike against it. I think so because I, I agree they're all they're all bangers as you are in the moment. But I'm looking at the track list now, having listened to this album yesterday, and I can't remember what some of them sound like. Um, right. I think because they all sound so similar. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I'm a ta- I went through like a phase not too far off somewhat recently where I just listened to it over and over again. I just had it sort of running because I enjoy it so much. So, but not all of them. I could tell you probably most of them what they sound like. And then the other one, maybe one or two of them I can't, I couldn't identify for you, which is not great. Yeah. It's not a good thing when you look at an album and you go, wait, what's that one? Which one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. <laughs> so yeah, sorry I, I missed Hard Day's Night. That is in the middle of Beatlemania. Mm-hmm. That's 1964. So in the arc of the Beatles, they're at their peak. This is the soundtrack for the movie about the band, the Beatles. That's how yes. huge they were at this point. Mm-hmm. And that was what led to Beatles for Sale after mm-hmm. that. You know, even the title, Beatles for Sale. <laughs> like, the youthful veneer has yeah. chipped away. And the thousand yeah. yard stairs that they all have on the album cover. They've got the bowl cuts. The bowl cuts are in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're into the like the Beatles for sale, rubber sole, revolver era of hair. Yeah. And and help. That's in there as well. Yeah, that's interesting to think there are yeah, there's sort of musical eras that they go through and also follicular eras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a mustache time, there was an after mustache time. Also a good description for the lockdown that we've all been on. This is yeah. a real follicular roller coaster for a, a lot of people. F- follicular epoch. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is a follicular era, the likes of which may never be seen again. It will be. It'll be seen again. This is around the same time, too, that the Beatles meet Bob Dylan. They're touring the U.S. in the fall of 1964. Is at this time that Beatles for Sale drops. Then in the U.S., Beatles 65 comes out. We don't need to talk about Beatles 65, right? That's not. They're both compilation albums. Yeah, they're exactly. Then uh, the next thing it looks like is the Help soundtrack that comes out. Is that correct? In the you have in front of you the official canon. I just have some hastily typed notes that are all in one font size which is small yeah because one thing i want to just throw well it doesn't really matter beatles for sale also had covers because they were touring constantly and didn't have time to write um, oh they kind of backslid into that pattern but then help they made a movie again why (laughs) guys calm down (laughs) down and this one had a plot this one was a full-on ringo's ring ringo's got the ring of like a sultan (laughs) or something and they have to chop his hand off like it it won't come off and he's in love with a girl, and then and then know, he sits in the river and is sad again. Damn it's it, a lot of being chased. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't actually seen the movie Help. I only know the the soundtrack. Oh, uh, I, Help is great because it's the one where they have four flats, these four townhome flats that are all next to each other, and they open the front door, and like it opens dorms. to reveal it's one big room. Oh so they God. all live in one big house together. Ridiculous. Just like the monkeys would Just a like year later. Yeah. yeah. So this album does. Is it weird to say that? I know that the the monkeys were just, you know, the Beatles American TV version, but mm. this album sounds like this is the one that influenced the monkeys. This album is the most monkeysy sounding to me. I mean, they were contemporaries. I think that I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um like the knock cuz I thought this album was pretty mm-hmm. good as I was listening through it. Uh, yeah. but to go back to sort of the point about track listing, this help has yesterday on it. Yeah. And then right after that is John going, yeah. which is such a buzzkill. It feels like they would end the concert with yesterday. 
And then if the crowd wanted one more, they'd throw out Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Yeah. 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 Here's some sloppy pigs. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but this one, this one does have, I mean, this has yesterday on it, the most covered song in history. It's yeah. got Ticket to Ride on it. It's got help. You know, I mean, these are, it's got, it's got I just see a face. The, that's right. I oh, see the face one. is so good. The like great songs off of this album are, I mean, they all have great songs on it, but they're sort of like in my, like when I think of early Beatles, I guess I think of the end of the early Beatles. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, there's there's sound definitely, though. it changes after this. This feels like the end of the early rock and roll Beatles with a little bit of experiment happening. It does have covers on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Act Naturally, obviously, which was Ringo's pity track, is a <laughs> cover of Buck Owens, which in turn was a cover of, I can't remember the original person who recorded it, but it was like in country music at that time, everybody recorded the same song. Like, oh, mm-hmm. God, now I'll have a hit with it. But it was because of Buck Owens at the time and how huge he was because he was in the middle of, I think, 21 straight number one hits or something, something like that, that he had some like unprecedented run in country music that the Beatles like the Beatles covering it was a huge deal, mm-hmm. not only in recognizing him and the success it gave him, but also like it was it's one of the few I can't even think of any other country songs that they have on any of their albums. So it has the only sort of Beatles go country Mm-hmm. kind of song in counting rocky raccoon do you count it's more of a pastiche more, i guess than like yeah, yeah. yeah. that's folksy but not yeah. country this rocky raccoon sounds a little country. more bakersfield country than nashville country <laughs> yeah there's that sure. accent why is he doing that accent? yeah <laughs> he's making fun of my people <laughs> so uh then big big thing happens after help the beatles decide that they're not going to tour anymore they're going to go in the studio they're going to take some time off and they're going to just craft an album. Molly, you might know this. Was this the first time that a band had done something like this? I know this predates Pet Sounds. Like this was what led to Pet Sounds from. Yeah. Beach and Boys. I'd be, this I'd was... be hesitant to say that the Beatles were the first to do anything. Uh, sure. But they were, you know, very open about their influences and their collaborators. And I think they kind of mm-hmm. held up a mirror to what was, uh, what progress was being made. But yeah, they definitely made a statement of like, we are not going to tour and we are going to focus on the album part because that's how we make our money. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. the, the thing that is creatively enriching for us. And I don't know about these sort of, I know the Brian Wilson Beatles back and forth is that could be a cast episode itself. Right. Of yeah. course. Also at that time touring, like they couldn't hear if you took a recording of just what they were playing in one of those concerts, it would mm-hmm. sound horrible because they literally couldn't hear one another. Like all you can yeah. hear and and any any almost any of their concerts that you watch is just this wall of sound of the fans screaming, most of whom were teenage girls. Mm-hmm. It was just so deafening. They couldn't hear one another. They would they would sort of mess up and they'd be out of sync. And I think it drove the Paul. I think again, Paul was the one who was like, "We should keep touring because we can make a lot of money." But they agreed as a group, like, "This is going to ruin our ability to make. We're not making music anymore. We're just." Yeah, being screamed at for a couple hours every night. We don't yeah. want that. And playing the hits that they've played five thousand times. It's mm-hmm. like doing a show. If you do, if you do the same, you know, like a, it's like a Broadway run of a show. You do, yeah, you did a giant musical on Broadway for three thousand performances. <laughs> you know, by performance twenty seven fifty one, you're probably not thinking about the music all that much while you're playing it. They did. Yeah. They didn't do that many. They did fourteen hundred shows before Shea Stadium, which is 
a ton. Can you imagine like trying to sing, you know, I dreamed a dream or something and everyone is just screaming <laughs> at you? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so God. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> you can only do the musicals that just have big, loud songs like that. Forget trying to do a straight play bump, for that long. Bump. <laughs> I mean, that does happen for Hamilton. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that was the that was the one exception. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> they had to fight through the, They had to act through the screams. <laughs> it's ham mania. This is, of course, they go in the studio, mm-hmm. and in December of 1965, they release. Rubber Soul. This is where my favorite, of course, I mean, for me, I'm an album because I, like I said before, I like the originality of the instruments. I like a good arc. I like my stuff theatrical. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like my music theatrical. Mm-hmm. And this is where that really, really kicks in and a run that goes all the way up through Sgt. Pepper's of them just crushing these next few albums that they came out with. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on Rubber Soul? Just looking at the track listing now, I would mm-hmm. say there's one, maybe two, Unbops, like not cl- full blown clunkers, but like mm-hmm. less than stellar. But I'm curious what tracks kind of hold this back from being the greatest, we'll say, of the albums. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have like, again, it has a couple that aren't great. I wonder if ours are the same. I feel like the word is one of them that's not so great. I almost feel like we should have been reading out the track listings as we were going, but if you're following along at home, open up BeatlesBible.com. Yeah. Or just if you're a old groover, just go grab that little section out of your record yeah. collection. Pause this, yeah. listen to the yeah. album, and then come back. Yeah. It'll take you know, 13 hours. Good luck. I feel like <laughs> if I was on Sporkle and the quiz were was tracks from Rubber Soul, I could do it without looking with no reference. Yeah. Ooh. This is my favorite Beatles album, and I I think it should be a finalist for the reason that it has a ton of bops and a couple mm-hmm. of unbops, but nothing unlistenable. Nothing anti-bop. Like the, yeah. Right. Nothing where it's like, I have to skip it. Like even the songs that you might not like as much, they're quick and they're over fast. Like they're not, you don't have to suffer through them. They just sort of pass by. They're kind of like vanilla. Yeah. Here, That's try this for a thing. minute. You didn't like this? Okay, here's this one. Yeah, sort of a poo-poo platter of, of tunes. I think with what they're doing with creating an album, I think that they knock it out of the park at the... This has my favorite beginning to a Beatles album ever. Mm-hmm. Mm. The first two tracks on this, which is Drive My Car in Norwegian Wood, is here is a banger like you're used to us playing and a really like a great, great rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. And then here's Norwegian Wood. We're going to do something a little different this time. And I think because of the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, I didn't know Nowhere Man was this early in their timeline. Oh, yeah. Oh. And Nowhere Man is is another kind of, uh, let, me, let me try something new on you first. Mm-hmm. I think my only complaint about the track listing of this album is they end on Run For Your Life, which I think is kind of an odd choice because it's, you know, he's threatening a lady. But yep. <laughs> This is a little bit, uh, but yeah, there's yeah. no, the, the flow from track to track is very good. It tells a complete yeah. story. And it's the introduction of the sitar to their musical arsenal, which I, I, which I will argue in some upcoming albums gets overused a little bit. It's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. When did the shift start psycho, not psychologically, but I guess philosophically from it being John Lennon and Paul McCartney to the team up or the at least interpersonal team up being John and George together and Paul and Ringo in terms of singing or in terms just of inter- in, in terms of them interpersonally. And how do you guys think that affected it? Because I know that 
right around now with, and then a little bit later when they go to India and George and John stay there for longer. Cause it was right around this time that they were introduced to LSD. And that was, that became specifically a John and George thing to do where Paul and Ringo tried it some, but is, do you think there's a musical connection in that? Like it was when you mentioned the sitar that made me think of it. Yeah. Cause they, they went to India and in like between like 68. Yeah. Before the White Album, basically. Right. They got into LSD in 65, though. And George got into Ravi Shankar. Yeah. Like they, yeah. That was his, that was him bringing that in. Like it was, it's interesting to see George, George has the most interesting arc of any of the Beatles in terms of like, he's quietly like, oh, he's actually really good at playing that instrument to, oh, he's bringing new sounds to the band mm-hmm. to, he's actually a pretty good songwriter to, when they leave the band, he puts out a triple album because he has so much material that, that just couldn't fit. Like it sucks to be George Harrison towards the end of the Beatles because you're one of the best songwriters on the planet yeah. and two of the people who are more acclaimed than you are in the same band. So yeah. they're going to get the lion's share of every single album that you record on. Yeah. Forget this. I'm going to team up with Rogers and Hammerstein. It's going to be Rogers and Hammerstein and Her- no, not that either. All right. Fine. I'll go over here with Lerner and Lowe. Rogers and Harrison and Hammerstein, is that more alphabet? No, it's less alphabetical? No, oh, it wasn't alphabetical at all? Oh. <laughs> Look, I'll join or I won't join. Whatever you want me to do is fine. You're all being crackers. That's my, that's my big, uh, oh, that was how I started for doing so many years and I love an it. impression of George Harrison is him on MTV talking about something in like the late eighties and going, they're all being crackers like that. <laughs> that's the one word for George. That's my George Harrison impression was crackers. Crackers. Should make a meme out of that. That could prove useful right now. <laughs> Have you seen the video of Paul McCartney making mashed potatoes? Um, no. Not yet, but what time are we done with this? Because I'm about to. <laughs> yeah. It was like he was a Twitch streamer before that was even a word. Like he made him. It was a live stream to promote Linda's book. And he puts raw onions in it. It's horrifying. Ooh. And he's just all these made up words. Everything in the kitchen. It's fantastic. <laughs> Everything in the kitchen is just the name. It's just what they do. He describes, yeah, he describes cutting off the top of an onion as chopping off the toppy bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the most adorable thing I've ever heard. So Uncle <sighs> Mac. Oh, I love it. Yeah, this is a great favorite album to have. And I think this is the beginning of the window where we have the candidates for best. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it's certainly, I think, on the metal stand. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And then, of course, after that, they dropped the arguably even better Revolver, which added more of the psychedelia to it. A few more experiments. Another one of my favorite. Like, again, this is the run that I think is just fantastic. Even the album cover of Revolver is so Hand good. Hand yeah, yeah, the hand drawn cover is so yeah. good. And that's an underrated criteria for a great album is how good mm-hmm. does it look on an LP sleeve? Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. got that's got to factor in. Because there's that one that's uh, one of those compilation albums was just them in lab coats with a bunch of plastic baby parts and ground meat. They were putting and ground meat. In the meat grinders. Is that what it was? Becomes, yeah. Well, there's one where they're just holding the doll parts, which is the tame version. Right. The untamed version is them putting it into the top of meat grinder and hamburger meat coming yeah. out of the bottom. That was that's the hair that on is, a Morica version. Yeah, that is yes, that is the really <laughs> expensive, like hard to find collector's edition, cost a yeah. lot of money version of it. Mm-hmm. Has the same but, songs on it, you guys. Yeah, it's the same yeah. songs. Also, I have a, a little more I have baby. a printer and a CD burner. I'll make you one. 
I can make hamburger meat. I don't need the Beatles to do it. <laughs> yeah. I got I have some frozen hamburger meat in my yeah. freezer right now. It's bison, which is way healthier. I'm going to put this frozen hamburger meat into my vegan wife's mashed potatoes with this raw onion. Hold on. Let yeah. me, the toppy <laughs> let me bits. chop the toppy bit. <laughs> so how do you feel about Revolver, Molly? Where, where do you sit with this one? Is my personal favorite. Yeah. It is, I think, like bought it with my own money, even though it was the Beatles, so it was everywhere at that point. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know, like, I, you know, some of the songs I kind of have mixed feelings about, but they're still fun to listen to, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Dr. Robert, I wouldn't go out of my way. Right. But it also has Eleanor Rigby, yes. has Yellow mm-hmm. Submarine, and Andrew Bird Can Sing is very fun to play in Beatles rock band, so there's a soft spot there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Taxman. I think Taxman is, if... It's same with a uh, drive my car. It's a great way to an album. Yeah. They played it. Yeah. Yes. They do the same thing with this album, which is start with a killer rock song and then do something completely different mm-hmm. with Eleanor Rigby. So it's got a great opening and Tomorrow Never Knows closing it out. Yeah, which is sort of the rubber soul move of like, here's something confusing. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Put it back in the sleeve. <laughs> I don't like Tomorrow Never Knows. I don't like that track. It it kind of ruins the whole album for him. I'm like, this was going so well. And then all of a sudden, John's like, now listen to this. Yeah. George just hovers in on like yeah. a cloud of vape smoke. Like, oh, yeah. this <laughs> oh. I've got 900 uh, crackers, sitars that I brought in with me. <laughs> There was a detail I forgot to mention that I loved about Rubber Soul was the nickname that John Lennon had for it. Was uh, it? Just going back a quick one, because you mentioned him flying in on a cloud of vape smoke. John Lennon referred to Rubber Soul as the pot album. Yep. Oh, yeah. okay. Makes sense. That's right. a different, it's, yeah. not follicular, not musical, but pharmacological, I guess. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I just thought that was an amusing detail that like it's it's officially called the Beatles, but unofficially it's called the White Album. I'm like, OK, well, let's do that with Rubber Soul then. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, track for track, this album has better songs like it's than Rubber Soul are higher than Rubber Souls. Mm-hmm. I think it's lows are a little bit lower for me. And that just Rubber Soul gets a little dull. Revolver goes into what's that? What am I? Yeah. What, am I this? what happened to? <laughs> Where the Beatles go? Why is this? Why is this? Why? Yeah. Well, again, you know, for no one kind of gets into these sort of vaguely like faux theatrical bend they really get into in Sgt. Pepper. Like you start mm-hmm. to see them play with like sort of narrative structure in a song a little more. Though it yeah. occurred to me as I was listening, I don't know if there's, if there's any Beatle lyric that I would have like put on a throw pillow. You know, they're not a lyric forward band necessarily. Yeah. No. Well, in their next album, though, they were the first major band ever to put their lyrics in the liner notes with Sgt. Pepper. Just the the difference between two albums ago, like the yeah. instrumental credits, just all the different parts. <laughs> sure. Whereas the, the credits of Sgt. Pepper looks like the phone book. <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah. Well, because you have Day in the Life, which is like has every instrument ever mm-hmm. invented yep. played on it. 700 hours it took to make Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Amazing. Recorded at Abbey Road in uh, November of 66. 700 hours. Which album was the Paul is Dead album? That's the White Album, I think. I think so. Is it the White Album? There's yeah. a Turn Me On Dead Man, I think, was on the White Album. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Strawberry Fields was also on Magical Mystery Tour, I believe. Yes. Right. That, maybe that's the one that has Paul is Dead. That, there's Paul is Dead and Miss Him, Miss Him. There's Turn Me On Dead Man, right. which is a separate track. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other fun thing about getting into the Beatles after the Beatles have, you can binge the Beatles and any yeah. fan theories that suit your taste. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, you can find whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, you can find that Paul is dead is totally true, that Paul is dead is a hoax. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're looking for, there is someone out there who agrees with you and has written an article with a heading. So it looks like it's from a publication. That's right. Sasquatch (laughs) did play bass on Get Back. You're right. (laughs) He is the 19th Beatle. (laughs) 19th Beatle. (laughs) Let's talk a little more about Sergeant Pepper because what are your – this seems like the end of that huge era. This is like as a one, two, three. I think they get better as they go. That's my opinion. Getting so much better all the time. Right? Yeah. I don't know that they get better as a band than Sgt. Pepper. And yeah. I think it, it Hal's making it, a face. Yeah, Hal, oh, wait, yeah. oh wait, what are you gonna say, Molly? I want to hear Oh no, just that like, you know, comparing to, you know, please please me and with the Beatles, where it's just kind of a collection of nearly mm-hmm. identical sounding bops, not all mm-hmm. of which are theirs. Mm-hmm. This like Sgt. Pepper almost feels incomplete in segments. Like it's something it's just such a complete reversal of what the album was when the Beatles started. And Probably a lot of that is they had this exposure and could do whatever they wanted and could mm-hmm. collaborate with whomever. But just as an art object, like the, it just, I think it nails every front. Like the album art is distinct. They mm-hmm. thought about the packaging and the experience of actually physically having the album, which I think yeah. is important. And I don't know, as tracks go, do you think there are any, not anti bops perhaps, but any sort of lesser bops? I mean, I could dance to being for the benefit of Mr. Kite all day. No, I'm not. That's not really a much of a dance tune for me. But I, again, it's one of those weird ones that I love because it's fun and crazy. Yeah, like within you, without you, maybe it's kind of the Tomorrow Never Knows segment of, yeah. okay, George, thanks. And then he hovers away. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's just full on just a, he has become a vaporous cloud for that one. And that, so like you have a, that track is way too George. Mm-hmm. Like the like the bad side of George, and then when I'm 64, starts the descent into the bad side of Paul. Mm-hmm. We're like, this is way too saccharine, and now I get like you talked about recognizing the different voices of different songwriters. This is where we see Paul. Like th- this is especially now in retrospect, the seeds that would lead him to Wings, and you could almost draw a line between when I'm 64 and Wonderful Christmas Time. I knew you, you were going to say that. <laughs> no, it's true, but it's like no, that. Right. It's that. Sen- it's it's that there. Syrupy, syrupy, sweet, which I've always loved when I'm 64. But yeah, it is so. If like you know, Paul needs John to give him balls, and John needs Paul to give him heart. This one is no balls. The sort of the Wizard of Oz analogy, which yeah. one's Dorothy? <laughs> uh, Ringo's Dorothy, right? Yeah. Ringo's Dorothy. <laughs> he clicks his heels together three times to drop the beat. No more ruby slippers. Any slippers yeah. sent to me will be tossed. Peace and love. There's no place like home. <laughs> but I think with this album, they continue their pattern of sing with an absolute slapper and mm-hmm. then closing with something confusing. But that confusing thing was a day in the life, which mm-hmm. yeah. is such a sort of paradigm i mean it was you know reflecting pet sounds it was a brian wilson song basically that they crowdsourced <laughs> but you know it sort of shifted the i think the public imagination of like what a studio album could be mm. yes and it, they were smart to put that at the end it's definitely it can be confusing but they, there's nothing better than that song on that album in, in terms of the achievement in terms of how dense it is just like like it's a song in multiple parts. And, and I think it, there's like segments of each Beatle in there. Like there's clearly mm-hmm. a George section and a Paul section and a John section. It's sort of mm-hmm. this sort of tour of like, here's what the Beatles think they are right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's, it would be hard for this not to be a finalist. I just have like those two tracks more within you without you than when I'm 64, which ju- when I'm 64 just feels like it doesn't quite, it's odd to say that song doesn't fit in an album where it's so varying and it's sort of telling its own story and each song has its mm-hmm. own personality that those two songs to me don't quite fit. And when I'm 64 fits less than within you without you. I don't know where else you would put them. Like, I don't know if I have any, you couldn't yeah. put within you. Well, I wish that in Beatlesbible.com they showed where the LP division was, like where side A. Yeah, I'm wondering ended. that for a lot of these. Yeah, because if you start side B with within you without you, then f- you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think side A ends with within you without you. Okay. Well, then I think starting, it it feels like when I'm 64 is then a little, hey, sorry about that. We're back. We're the Beatles. Yeah. Side one ends with, what did all you need is love come off of? Um, It was a, it was a single. It was a single. Okay. For a simulcast. For that, for, but that, because I was like, I was looking, I was like, the next big thing they did was all you need is love was that simulcast. And I was like, wait a minute. Did I miss something in these notes about which album that came off of? But that was a no, they wrote it just for that. I think it, it got it's rolled the Yellow into, Submarine soundtrack, right. I think. Yeah, either that or, or Magical Mystery Tour. I got rolled gotcha. into one of those albums. And Lady Madonna was also a single. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah. I couldn't find what album it was on. It didn't huh. come up. Oh. What were you looking up, Hal? Did you find uh, it? Sorry. Uh, yeah, hold on. I have almost got it. I really want to know what's on each side. Where Sgt. Pepper's flips? Yeah, I want and to I don't think oh, it, oh, there we go. There we go. I don't go. know that it adds it. or subtracts from its overall quality as an album, but it is something that had to factor in when they ordered these tracks that we yeah. don't have to consider now. Why is this one image the lowest quality image possible? I found the fuzziest. Like, oh, were you trying to find the actual physical? I was looking at the back of the first album, which has the two sides, but then quickly falls off. Every single one. Go. Forget it. Hold on a second. I'm going to see if I can Google faster than you. <laughs> Please do. Google fight. Google fight. I do have the Wikipedia for the Ballad of John and Yoko, which is another single that does not <laughs> appear. I think it was added to the White Album later, wasn't it? Or maybe it was added to... The Ballad of John and Yoko, I thought, was on one of John's. No, on the White Album? Uh, now I gotta look it up. Uh, Sgt. Pepper's is two records. Oh. Oh, that's right. It was a double Damn. album. So, yeah, it went Sgt. Pepper's, Lonely Hearts Club Band, introduces side one. <laughs> Good Morning, Good Morning, introduces side two. Got to get you into my life introduces side three and come together introduces side four. Are we talking about Sergeant Pepper still? No, that's not Sergeant Pepper. Why, yeah, what am I? Hang on a second. <laughs> what are you looking at? I, it ends I'm up being at, for the benefit. Oh no, side uh, two. I got it. I got it. All okay, right, you got I it. Started here. Oh no. Okay, I'm this sorry. Is, sorry. I was incorrect. Within you, without you, does not end side one. It begins side two. Oh, okay. Wait. So then, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite closes outside. That's the first, yeah, so side one starts with Sgt. Pepper, yeah, and then ends with being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. It's a single album, Mm -hmm. and then the second half starts Within You Without You, and then goes Mm. to Day in the Life. And Within You Without You, Mm. you cannot open a side with it, nor should you close a side with it, or should you have put it on the album. Is one song going to be what Molly was talking about earlier, where it could be the greatest album of all time, if not for the one terrible song? That was me that said that. And yes. <laughs> oh, I thought it was my, I thought I'm just going to attribute all the good ideas to Molly for this episode. I don't blame you. I attribute them all to her too. <laughs> Even if it's not during this recording. That would be a first. All, all good ideas were <laughs> Molly's idea. Yeah. Well, that seems kind of lopsided because then Sergeant Peppers and with a little help from my friends and Lucy in the sky 
they're the first three tracks. That seems mm-hmm. like you're sort of front loading a lot of your winners and then you flip it over to getting better. Like that seems it's, yep. it seems like kind of a steady ramp down until you get to day in the life and then you're confused again. <laughs> and also one of those. I mean, good morning. Good morning. I love that song. That's a yeah. really good one. Uh, which comes after Lovely Rita, which is another very good song. But then you have the reprise, so they come back to their opening song, mm-hmm. and then you have Day in the Life. So it is definitely lopsided in that the first half is like a really, really strong start. And then I think there is sort of a downward slope to it when you get to that second half. Not that there aren't great tracks there. And again, it's the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Nothing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't but, think anything well, has to – it doesn't have to like you know get real great in the middle and then like – it doesn't have to all be satisfying as long as it's a consistent sort of ramp, as long as there's no moment where you're like, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, what the hell? You know? And yeah. I think that the she's leaving home to being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is a more jarring transition than anything in, in and out of Within You Without You, because that song doesn't seem to start or finish necessarily. No. It is one of those, actually, uh, no, not that one. Tomorrow Never Knows from the previous album is, I like to teach it on ukulele because it is technically no chords. <laughs> It's just the open strum on ukulele. That's how you play that song. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, there, you can play a Beatles song. I'm a great teacher. <laughs> but it's a pee break. That's the pee break of the album, you think? I think you go number two and you'd be fine if that's wow. right. Because it is. Wait, I don't, I don't have a track listing in front of me anymore, but I think that song is 55 minutes long. Is that right? Within you, Am without you? Yeah. Uh, how you hating one song so much is... Oh. I just really, I, really so, making me happy. T- and that's like, but George, that is George's one song on the album. Mm-hmm. The other song he came up with for that album was only a Northern song, which came up later. So we're not in like the height of his like really good songwriting contributions, but also he didn't really care as much about Sergeant Pepper because he was already like, I want to go to India. I want to go hang out with Ravi Shankar. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not like, were he here talking to us? I don't think he would hold it in his high reverence because it was just like, this is Paul's baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though what I'll say, I'm looking at the track listing again for your favorite album, Rubber Soul. Yes. And they're all unimpeachable bops, I think. And they're right. all kind of different in their own way. And there's not a really clear, like, what the hell was that? And I think right. the thing about Sgt. Pepper is most of the tracks are a, what was that? Yeah. Um, Which is what I love about it. Yeah, but not in that white album way of like, was that technically a song? You know, they're all still <laughs> defensively songs. It's very funny. That's true. Yeah, I mean, the white album is a mess. Yeah. I enjoy listening to it. I, I went through a phase with that, too. I think when I was in like high school, where I just would listen to it over and over again and somehow find value in all of it. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Good for me. But now it's hard to listen to it again, especially like the more you know when you learn like they recorded most of that stuff, each of them by themselves. There isn't a lot of like group recording going on. Paul is taking over. Like he's like, I have an idea for a song. I'm just going to do all the parts of it and you guys can fill in stuff later. Mm-hmm. Before we jump ahead to the White Album and having skipped the Magical Mystery Tour, which uh, uh, we don't need well, to really. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Wait, what? Are you sure about Skip a Magical Mystery Tour? Oh, no, 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 no. I was just, I was just going to say, it sounds like we're done with Sgt. Pepper. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we will jump right back in with Molly Lewis in just a moment and talk about some more Beatles. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
have a tweet that I'd like to read. This is from Morsafi Jones. I hope I'm saying that right. To Max Fun HQ. And they say, you and your crew's dedication to keep delivering all of my favorite nonsense in this weird time is just the absolute best. It's already helping to save my little food industry turned stay-at-home mom soul. Thank you. So first of all, Thank you to any stay-at-home mom in the world, especially during a time like this. Thank you to a food industry worker. So, Morsafi Jones, thank you. But the reason that I wanted to read this one is I just love the phrase, delivering all my favorite nonsense. Because I think that is what we do best at MaxFun in a world of all things consequential. It's fun to... Just uh, to bring someone their favorite nonsense. We were so lucky to have this podcast right now, to have this nonsense. Amen. Not only is it an outlet for us and getting to see you, like doing this over Zoom now, and yeah. getting to see your face and see your apartment is so weird because we've recorded there so many times. It feels like I'm like, <laughs> I could just walk through the screen and then I'm right there. I can smell Jen's cooking in your Zoom call right now. I made that. But <laughs> not only do we get to connect with each other, but it does feel like we're helping the community by providing some companionship and maybe giving you a diversion that especially our show, you don't have to think about anything else. You can just get engaged in whatever weird thing we're debating that week. But even still, it takes time now, especially technology and funding to keep producing episodes to share with you and joining or upgrading enables us to keep doing this instead of other things. That's right. And if you'd like to help membership at max fund starts at $5 a month, that gives you all the bonus content. You'll be able to access that as long as you're a member. And there's a whole lot of it already waiting for you right now on the max fund site. If you choose to join at $10 a month, you get a max fund membership card, a cool magnet, and you also get all of the bonus content, of course. And if you join for $20 a month or more, you get this year's special gift, which is a Max Fun game pack featuring a custom dice set and custom deck of playing cards, all with Max Fun designs. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash join to become a member. And don't forget to check We Got This with Mark and Hal. Now, this is super cool. Uh, we've never done this before. You can get a subscription for a friend for one year so that you can both enjoy the BOCO that's short for bonus content and swag. You can gift a subscription to someone you've never even met who had to cancel this year due to COVID, which is really, really great. You'll be paying the Boco and Max Fun gifts forward to someone who could use a little extra cheer. Just check the anonymous Max Funster box when filling out the online form at maximumfun.org forward slash join. And again, don't forget to check the box when we got this with Mark and Hal so we can benefit directly from that contribution. And a huge thank you to all of our members who have made it possible for us to keep doing this through all of this time. Because of you, we have been able to adapt to remote production. I know it's great to see Hal's face in the same room, but it's almost just as good to see him on here. And we can't thank you enough for giving us this chance. If you're ready to become a member and help support the show, visit MaximumFun.org slash join. But for now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> if anything, I was interrupting you. It was getting very heated about the end of Sergeant Pepper's there. Yeah, we all took a walk. We got it out of our system. We all took a walk. I feel better. I have bad news for you, though, mm. guys. Unfortunately, while we were off taking our walk, their manager died and things fell into terrible disrepair and the Beatles uh, stumbled for a little while. If only we'd been here, we could have saved him. I know. Let's never let a fight bring us apart again. (laughs) 
the soundtrack of Magical Mystery Tour. They made a movie, Magical Mystery Tour, which was described by critics as a, quote, witless movie. home movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Technically a film, but it did have a successful soundtrack with some good music on it. Let's talk about Magical Mystery Tour. They shoveled some music spaghetti into our faces. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the, the side A, side B division was on this, but looking at the track listing now, you could probably just skip side A, which is not a yeah. great statement. Mm-hmm. Just but listen got, to side A of Sergeant Pepper and side B of Magical Mystery Tour and you're set. Just juggle them like chainsaws and put them down in whatever order they fall. <laughs> <laughs> it has Eye on the Walrus, which is not great song full stop, but it's a good Beatles song. Yeah. Uh, and it's got Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane and Baby, You're a Rich Man. So it felt worth mentioning those but it is certainly those are bops but it is not overall a collection of bops i think we can agree yes blue jay way is weird flying is weird i mean those alone your mother should know again feels like this is a little this is this is somehow less paul (laughs) than what i'm 64 but it feels very paul even if it's mainly a john song i'm pretty sure it's a paul though yeah it's got that stink. Again, I don't have the uh, in-depth knowledge, but it seems from a semi-outside perspective that Paul is very earnest and sweet in his songwriting. And the other three members of his band are just assorted drugs at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Paul McCartney's career as a whole is a lesson in, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. I think that comes through in his in his songwriting. Why not write a song about piggies? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I listened to this album this morning and I can't remember what Blue Jay Way or Flying sound like. Mm-hmm. I'm merely an hour away from having listened to it. And what? Yep. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, that you don't. So this after Magical Mystery Tour in the fall of 67, that is when we're following winter in February of 68. That's when the whole band famously goes to India and they go and they hang out with Ravi Shankar and they are following uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and John and George stay for I don't know how much longer than Paul and Ringo, who went back early. Then John returns to London, leaves his wife, gets a heroin addiction and a Yoko Ono. That spring, they create their own label, Apple Core. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next big uh, release to come out after that is the White Album. The Yellow Submarine doesn't get released until later the soundtrack to the movie they do this bonkers cartoon where they did not even do their own voices mm-hmm. yeah and then the white album comes out let's talk about the white album we mentioned it a little bit you mentioned that it is a mess it's 31 tracks yeah it's 31 tracks yeah, yeah. but some of them are great yeah i think you could detank you could unbraid this and have a good album's worth of tracks and they just yeah. kept going mm-hmm. yeah uh, so what are the standouts, fam? What are the, if only they had put these on a better album, tracks? I would put Blackbird as a standout. Yeah. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Absolutely. Um, back in the USSR. Great way to begin. Great album starter. Yep. Helter Skelter is a killer. Yeah. Yeah. Mother Nature's Son. Like they have a, a good yes. album's worth of good songs. Yeah. And then yeah. a bunch of, like, not even, I wouldn't even call them like, bad with a capital b Mm-mm. but that rhymes with p and that stands for piggies you know like yeah. <laughs> just again just that's cap- george that's if george, there's a capital it b it's bonkers that's what it would be yeah, yeah. 
He's uh, close though, because he. I think his two of his big he does piggies, but also while my guitar gently weeps is him, and he has Eric gorgeous him yeah. in to play a solo and steal his wife. Oh jeez! What's a man rock and roll music? This, this is a happened. hard. This is a hard dramatic life. I mean, she left. I don't think he like put on a mask and robbed her out of a right. safe. She has agency as a as a human, but yeah. they were you know the, together. The two of them left George in multiple ways. Yeah, I, I just feel like if you're gonna have an album with this many sides, you got to make each flip worth it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. After like Bungalow Bill, I'm not sure if I would keep going. <laughs> and then everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Is the title of a song <laughs> <laughs> and not a Jonathan Colton song. Right. He never even song. covered it. Has he no decency? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he know really? his brand? But yeah, and like, why don't we do it in the road is almost good, but also it's on the same album as Helter Skelter, so it's almost redundant in terms yeah. of the vibe. They do yes. have very similar, like, thrash rock, thrash your voice, old school rock vibe, but it's, but then, yeah, it's too much. There, there are, there are some other streaks of sunlight through the clouds. I think <laughs> that I will is really nice. I do like Julia. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Martha, my dear, only because it's a song about his dog. He's singing about his English sheepdog. Oh, I didn't know that. That makes yeah. it even better. Yeah. Martha's his puppy. Also, Sexy Sadie, weirdly, is about... No, I made that... Yeah, that's right. Also about... <laughs> a... That's about the other dog <laughs> who wound up living with Eric Clapton. <laughs> that's oh, Clapton man. shows up in everything. It's yeah. a really small community. Yeah. And I like... Yeah, Mother Nature's Son is good. There's There's good stuff in here. And then you have like wild honey pie where they're just shouting honey pie at you for... Like, yeah. and like, they were like, what if the guitars all sounded like that? <laughs> like that weird kind of. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. And like Sergeant Pepper, they were kind of questioning like, well, what's an album, man? And by this point, they were like, what's a song, man? What, yeah. you, what, what even is music? Right. <laughs> it's just excessive. It's just mm-hmm. the, the sort of aesthetic of this album is you were rich, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. the yeah. Guy Fieri of albums. <laughs> wow i don't know it doesn't have nearly enough flames on the album cover i guess yeah but that's his aesthetic you i'm rich that's fair yeah penny lane is a street in Flavortown. town <laughs> yeah. it's in your ear and your eye and your mouth, <laughs> your mouth. and on his beard it's a street in your mouth <laughs> hey man drive a 1965 mustang down that street in your mouth in Flavortown. town happiness is a war good <laughs> I'm at Penny Lane to visit a barber who makes the best tamales <laughs> in all of Liverpool. I'm going to put my sunglasses on the back of my head and go in. Stop making fun of Guy Fieri. He's awesome. He is awesome. All right. So chronologically moving forward, now they release. Uh, this is yet another. It seems like it feels like they're starting to wind down. They're doing things like releasing the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, which is an old song anyway. And then they put a few, you know, reissue tracks on it, some older mm-hmm. stuff. Did they actually write anything for, like, write anything new for the Yellow Submarine album? Do we know? But it's not like one of their album albums. All the George Martin instrumentals. Right. The second half of the album is, it's like when you buy a soundtrack uh, and it's just, you know, you get uh, the first half of it is the songs from the Disney movie and the second half is Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beatles wrote four new songs for this oh, album. Did. And also, I, I just found this out. It came out two weeks after the White Album came out. I don't know what they I were mean, thinking. What? Come on, guys. I guess they were like, sorry, here's an actual album. <laughs> we didn't mean it. You'll buy it. Back it's then. fine. They could have called it This One's Songs. <laughs> 
And then after that, the Swan Song. I mean, I'm sorry. Do we need to talk about the Yellow Submarine soundtrack anymore? It's a soundtrack. I don't know if it, I mean, a soundtrack is a kind of album, but that's not really right. the topic, I don't think. But Help was up there. I think all of that George Martin stuff would disqualify this as an album in the way, not in the way that Help is not. I would they, agree. They, yeah. They kind of squeezed this one out. So they were mm-hmm. trying to work on Magical Mystery Tour, which is a TV special, mm-hmm. but they were under contract from United Artists to make another movie. So the compromise was you get actors to play us. We will do songs for it. And then mm-hmm. we'll film a short sequence at the end that we'll control. This, they might as well call this like yellow contractual obligations. Because <laughs> that's really yeah. what that's them like fulfilling. Like, all right, are we good? <laughs> George wrote the song we didn't use for Sgt. Peppers. You want only another song on here? You want all you need is love? We'll throw that on there, too. We're yeah. all stuck in a contractual <laughs> obligation. Can't get out of our contract. Oops, breach of contract. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then the uh, the real swan song, even though Let It Be came out afterwards, but the, can the we, final. Wait, can we switch these? Can we talk about Let It Be first? Because it's not the last album they recorded. Sure. Yeah. That's fair. It was the yeah, last one released. So this is another concept from Paul, which is we're going to do a live concert, but we'll make a documentary about the making of this album that will and the mm-hmm. first time anybody will hear it is when we do it live. Of course, they get into huge horrible fights with each other. They they were already drifting apart. The Paul and George arguing during the two of us is one of my favorites, where Paul doesn't like what George is playing. And George is like, I'll play if you want me to play, or I won't play at all. Whatever, I'm not trying. And then Paul's like, you think I'm trying to get you? I'm not trying to get you. Like, just, you can tell that as soon as they called cut, the two of them were full haymakers in each other's faces. It's so sad. I just like the version where they all get along. But it became a documentary. The film's Mm -hmm. a, it's a documentary about the breaking up of the Beatles. And then the soundtrack came out in 1970, but the band had already broken up at that point. They were already, they were already done. Right. So let's talk about that. Yeah. As an album, it's got some of their most recognizable later hits. Mm-hmm. Got, yeah. And then Maggie yeah. May. And you've got <laughs> Maggie right. May on there. And one on after there. nine and nine. Yeah. That's on there. For Your and Blue there. is on there, which is pretty nice. That's a fun one. Little slide guitar for you. Yeah. And Billy Preston on the keys on Get Back. Yeah. Yes. And the long and winding road where they're all like, we're done, right? We're done with this. This, everybody knows we're done. This is the, we're two songs away from being done forever. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> that song, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but the Phil Spector wall of sound on it makes it really, t- I, I'm a let it be naked guy where it's underproduced and it's just the four of them mm-hmm. so yep. much better than like Phil Spector be like, I know what this needs. A, a ton of instruments real loud everywhere, backing yeah. everything up all the time. I don't mind the Phil Specterness of it. I mean, I don't like Phil Spector. I'm going to say that out loud. Mm. That's a spicy take. Look, yeah. I don't mean to be the one person with sure the hot take that? on Phil Spector, but I like the wall of sound. Mm. I think it's a, it's, he was, he was so iconic and they are so iconic that like the mix of the two of them is at least interesting and worth a listen. It's weird okay. that that's not the last song on the album. It's the third from last. It's I yeah. if if you were to I mean hopefully nobody ever quizzes me like what's the tr- what's the track listing of this Beatles album, bro? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I certainly would have put Get Back earlier in. That's the last like published song from Beatles. Is right. Yeah. Mm. I don't know because like Let It Be is unimpeachable across the universe but clearly because the band was breaking up their individual voices are really way more distinct there's right. not 
as much. It's not quite. It's not like when I'm 64 level siloing of the mm-hmm. styles, but it just sort of feels like a sneak preview of what their solo careers are gonna be, rather than a Beatles album. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. How much yeah. of it was Spectre? I thought Spectre was the whole album. Am I? Was it just? No, he's not on every. Not every track has that wall of sound to it, but they're definitely probably the biggest one is Long and Winding Road. But he was the producer that. for the whole album, right? He and Martin are credited together. Yeah. So gotcha. it may be kind of a So Lennon Martin was still hunt. doing it. Gotcha. Yeah. Or Martin sitting in the corner while Phil goes, I know what I'm doing. And he's like, oh, right. man. Yeah. He's just playing right. Cat's Cradle by himself. Right. <laughs> yeah. He was invited to work on the project by Lennon and Harrison without the knowledge of Paul or George Martin. And huh. so Paul, like, and Glenn Johns, who produced some of their stuff, also doesn't like it. So it's really, his involvement in it alone is divisive among the Beatles and their production crew, not to mention the fans who feel one way. And there's no right or wrong answer. I just right. prefer, like, the four of them are outstanding musicians. And when you add too much to that, it's just, it becomes a hat on a hat. Right. And Phil Spector is a producer. I respect the wall of sound. I, I like it in some places, but with the Beatles, it felt, especially hearing the first time I listened to Let It Be Naked, it was like, oh, this is That's what that the way been. it should sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, they had their own kind of wall of sound anyway from years back and from Rubber Soul through Sgt. Pepper. They were, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't necessarily novel for them to have horns and strings and glockenspiels and insane things maybe not 10 drummers at once the way the wall of sound was mm-hmm. but unique instrumentation didn't start with the beatles at phil specter yeah and it's not if they're gonna have a wall of sound on this album i would have wished it on across the universe or i mean mine or something right mm-hmm. like the long and winding road on this version, not the Let It Be Naked version, mm-hmm. sounds like an old folks' home. I don't know if that's just my <laughs> modern association, but like, it's just kind of, it just feels like sliding into a hot bath. <laughs> like, <laughs> just kind of waiting to die. I don't know. I, because <laughs> when was the rooftop concert in their timeline? The rooftop concert was January 30th, 1969. Oh, in 69. They were practicing together to see if they wanted to go back out on the road again because Paul wanted to go and play live again. But they did that show on the rooftop and it turned out to be the last. But that was during the production cycle for this album. Yeah. That was what began the production cycle for this. January 30th, 69 was that performance. And in February, they started the sessions for this album. This in the running to be the best, do we think? Or is it? Let it be. Yeah. Because I want to know what Diggit adds to the calculus. Just the presence of Diggit. <laughs> I don't even know Diggit. Which one is Diggit? It's just kind of a... Like a rolling stone. No. Yeah. I've listened to so many Beatles songs in the last week and a half. Yeah. They're just messing around in the background. Yeah. Yeah. You're just in a boat on a river with tangerine trees. Marmalade skies? I'll say this, if we're going to put one of their swan songs up against their prime, I think the swan song that's going to go up against their prime is not Let It Be. It's going to be Abbey Road. I would agree with that. I agree. I'm going to close this tab. We're not going to talk about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm calling it. All right, so let's talk about Abbey Road. You mentioned before that this was Let It Be felt like a prequel to their individual solo careers. Do you think that started with this? Well, this was recorded after, right? This is their, like, let's do one more. Let's not have that be the last thing we do. And let's bring in Billy Preston so that we behave better. 
because we all like right. him. Yeah, and I guess there was confusion about whether or not Billy Preston was going to join the band that mm-hmm. Paul was uh, concerned. Like, why Why did George bring this dude? I'm confused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Octopus's garden is on here. Ringo gets his Ringo. Hey, all right. Uh, I'm confused, though, about the order of these. How did this go again? Let It Be was recorded first, and then Abbey Road was recorded, but Let It Be came out after? Or Let It... Yes, because it was the, tied to the film. Tied to the documentary. It's essentially That's a soundtrack right. to the film. Gotcha. So they broke up, and then the like that that comes out around the time they broke right. up. In they broke up in December, I guess, and they announced this, it in April. This album was the last one. I always consider this to be the end of their time together, and it has, right. fittingly, the best ending of any of their albums with a song called The End, which mm-hmm. is a really fun, like... It feels like their last jam together. And then the little coda of Paul doing Her Majesty is so, like, sweet. It's sort of his, like, uh, the DV, that, that, that's all, folks. That's him, like, peeking out <laughs> at the very end. Yeah, that's a very charitable way to think about it, and I, I accept it. Wait, um, what's your way? Oh, I mean, just <laughs> just Paul just wanting attention. That seems to be, like, be true too. not in the way that John wants attention, but, you know, he's got kind of his, he wants to be sort of a little... Uncle Bass. Um, but also, if if I didn't find Her Majesty so endearing, I would find its placement on the album more irritating. Yeah. yeah. Yes. This, oh man, this album I love. I love Abbey Road because the first side of this album, every song I think is perfect. Even Maxwell Silverhammer. Especially uh, Maxwell Silverhammer. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a crazy one. But I mean, Come Together, Something. I mean, this is the two best George songs, mm-hmm. I think, are on this album. And then side two, you get Paul's uh, crazy medley. Well, all of that. It's their unfinished symphony of songs. Is what? Side two? Or it's all of yeah. their... You never give me your money all the way through the end. Are like these bits of songs that they weave together. Like, is there any song in that run that you want to hear the full version of? I don't think so. Um, I think Me, Mr. Mustard, if that's in... <laughs> it, it has the most... It's the most interesting because there's definitely on Let It Be. There are also I don't know one after nine on nine kind of just just toss it off. Yeah. Um, but these have at least some kind of they leave some sort of flavor in your mouth that's not like Ugh, why why did you make me listen to that? And it has the feel of like Sergeant Peppers and that oh this is weird. It does sort of tell a story. It's like a second mm-hmm. half, a little bit of a concept to it. And then there's weird <laughs> stuff like Sun King where you're like. Wait, what? <laughs> I was just going to say, Why? Sun King, if you do want to listen to the entire version of a song, I hear Sun King is like 16 hours long and the chords change twice and it just goes. And there's someone, there's someone spinning a, a stick in a bowl yeah. for about three of those hours. Very easy to teach on ukulele though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side A of Abbey Road is pretty perfect, I think. It's a great sort of album to close out their career because I think... Mm-hmm. Golden Slumbers up to the end is like the gold, you could end on Golden Slumbers and then they don't. You could end on Carry That Weight and then they don't. And then you could end on the end and then they don't. Yeah. It kind of knew like come out, take a bow. Okay, run backstage, come back, take a bow. Yeah. I don't know. More so thoughts feel on like it. Does it feel like it could be a finalist or is Sun King so difficult that uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't even. It's kind of hard to measure the bops to clunkers ratio on these later albums, you know, because right. they're are, so weird. And I feel like there are fewer like memorable, like when you think of the Beatles, you think of these songs kind of songs. But they were also, mm-hmm. I think George Martin had figured out how, like what treat he needed to dangle to get them to do what he wanted. Right. Like they were just kind of more cohesive as a band, even as they were breaking up. So like, I don't 
know if I would like if I saw you never gave me your money in a karaoke list, I'd never pick it out. No, I don't know the words to most of these, mm-hmm. but they're still good. It's just they're not. It doesn't feel like this collection of songs is as outstanding as some of the like Rubber Soul to Sergeant Pepper kind of period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is not my window for sort of the top contenders. I, I think I think that yeah, the, as you put it before, with if the Olympic podium, I think the Olympic podium is that sweet spot. It's those three albums in a row. Oh, wow, Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Sergeant Pepper. So those are our finalists. And there's how many tracks are on Abbey Road? I'm looking at it now, and it's like 15 or 16. Maybe? Are you looking at a super deluxe? I might edition? be. I have no idea. It just seems like a lot. It is really oh. hard to. I wish I had just the vinyls in front of me. Because there are so you go online to try and find like track lists and all of these, like the, like the details about it. And there's like, oh, do you want the 1993 Super Mega Deluxe version, or do you yeah. want the uh, 1994 one where they added another nine songs to that one? You're like, holy crap, guys! It's 17 tracks if you include Her Majesty as a full track, and then the second half is really like one long medley. So it mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like as many tracks as it is. I know at some yeah. points it might, but. Yeah, I was appreciating. We before we move on, John yes. gets a credit for white noise generator, which seems like kind of a cop out, and Ringo gets a credit for Anvil. So everybody played their part. Hey, all right. <laughs> Three days of recording for that one song. Uh, there's uh, some funny quotes of Ringo complaining about that very Anvil. I was gonna say <laughs> they must have been so pissed off at Paul because he's yeah. such a perfectionist in terms yeah. of like. And that was why like, he, I think he would go in and re-record their bits if he didn't like the way they did it. He would chop the toppy bit off of whatever <laughs> they did and then insert his own. Yeah. It's just hitting an anvil with a hammer. You got a, the flounce yeah. on the anvil. How are you doing it better? Look, I'm not trying to get you. You think I'm trying to get you? Look, and I'll play Paul, the anvil or I won't. Paul doesn't have a theoretical training. He can't, it, like, and I, when I was teaching myself instruments, I was like, well, Paul McCartney can't. He doesn't know music theory. I don't need to either. But in working in studio environments with other musicians, I now recognize how frustrating that is. Like, mm-hmm. when you can't articulate what you're trying to hear. And so, yeah, Paul must have been a nightmare. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And then we'll do a little fiddly bit here. Do a little I've just <laughs> it on the plunka. I've seen him teach, I think it was on the, the last album he did on, um, my ever present past. It's a YouTube video that they made with him where he's teaching people like how to play bass, which is kind of neat. And he knows some of it, but then he's like, sometimes I'll do a little fiddly bit. They'll just, he won't. <laughs> there's no like, he's not, it's not like I'm playing an arpeggio or I'm doing yeah. like, whatever, whatever he's doing. It's just a fiddly bit. That's it. It's he's chopping the toppy bit off. It's do the same. Noodly on the doodle. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he, I mean, look, it worked. Yeah, I just pick up me low box and grab the skinny part. <laughs> Make a bubble board to go bloom. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have our three finalists. Yes. Based on our conversation, it sounds like one of those rose to the top just in the course of our conversation and listening to it, just seeing what everybody got excited by. It seemed like there was one that was the most exciting of them. I don't remember back that far. Which one was it? I'm so excited to hear the reveal. What's time anymore? Well, the yeah. one that the one oh, that everybody man. seemed the most excited about was Revolver. Oh yeah, <laughs> that could have just been that how you were sitting and waiting to be contrarian about Sergeant Pepper because of the one song you hate. No, 
No, no, no, because I spent a lot of time talking about how much I dislike Tomorrow Never Knows. So that's <laughs> I was true. definitely engaged for that portion of it. Oh man, what do you what know. do you think about that? How do you feel about that, Molly? What if that? What is your gut reaction to Mark saying that right now? To saying that Revolver is the best Beatles album? That Ro- oh like, no, I'm just saying. All I said was that Revolver that's the one was the we one that up. seemed to perk uh, to perk everybody up the most. Um, it kind of feels like these three sit in like a Venn diagram a little mm-hmm. bit. Like uh, Rubber Soul is a solid rock album. And Sgt. Pepper is a solid studio album. And it feels mm-hmm. like Revolver manages to straddle. It's that sort of watershed in the Beatles timeline where they became a studio band more than a rock band. And then like Let It Be and Abbey Road are them trying to figure out how rock works again. But right. they'll slowly turn into dads in front of everybody's eyes and they can't remember what. <laughs> yeah. They can't get that verve back. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like uh, Revolver was certainly that turning point for them and therefore the industry. I don't know why I made that voice. <laughs> you were rep- you seemed like you were representing the industry. In that's that. my authority voice. Yeah. It was really good. It was you almost can tell like, by my accent that I'm smart. You were like a chair turned around with cigar smoke puffing out. Oh, I didn't see you there. You want to know about the people? <laughs> oh, I'll just hear from a song oh, down to try and figure out the best Beatles album. <laughs> that sure is a gigantic desk. Yeah. 20 years ago today. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at the track list of those again, because maybe that will be something that will, uh, unless you guys agree that that seems like the one that. I think putting aside, I w- I'm trying to put aside, Revolver is my personal favorite. And I know, right. uh, Mark, you haven't mentioned, what is your personal favorite Beatles? I love that run right there. This, I, I was not really introduced to the Beatles as an album band. I spent my entire life up until hell my mid 30s just listening to individual Beatles songs mm-hmm. and you know like what's your what's the best Beatles album oh the red one with the big yellow one on it because that's got all the songs yeah. oh the Cirque du Soleil soundtrack one yeah that's right. uh, yeah the Beatles love it was living with uh, my roommate Katie in New York she had all of the Beatles albums on vinyl so the original Ooh. like it was her dad's collection and he gave her and I had brought a record player when we moved in together. And she was like, oh, my gosh, my dad has a ton of uh, old records. I'll get him to send them to us. So these Beatles albums, I am newer to this. But uh, we had we didn't have like, you know, the super early stuff. I do think we had uh, Meet the Beatles was the earliest one. I don't think we had Please Please Me. But the ones I kept picking up and putting on and playing were Rubber Soul and Revolver. Uh, were the two that I enjoyed the most and, and side A, honestly, of Abbey Road. And then the time would come to flip the record over and I'd go, do I want to flip the record over or do I want to <laughs> put rubber sole or revolver on? <laughs> Cause I listened to my favorite part of Abbey Road already. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my relationship with these albums. That's a great criteria for a good album is you can put it on no matter what you're doing and listen to the whole thing start to finish. Like Sgt. Pepper feels more like a lay down on the floor with headphones and listen to the whole thing. And like, look to your hands, man. Like that kind (laughs) of, that kind of experience. (laughs) You, you have to, you have to make it as an appointment album. Like we're all going to sit down and do this. Yeah. Some movies you put on just, it's just like a roommate in your house. You put it on while you're cleaning. Right. the soundtrack to your time yeah and then some you know some movies you sit down and watch with both eyeballs yeah and rubber soul felt like it's funny you mentioned rubber soul is a rock album and sergeant pepper's a concept album and revolvers in the middle because rubber soul would be the one like well i'm you know i'm i don't it doesn't need much of my attention right good point but revolver would get a little more of my attention yeah i guess it really comes down to like what is the criterion of a good 
album? Like, is it that it's supposed to be of a self encapsulated thing that's like a movie that you can't break apart into scenes, or is it a collection of good scenes? You know, I think it's both. Yeah. And on top of that, I think it's like you mentioned the Venn diagram that you want. And all three of these albums do that where it's, it's a point in their career where there's they're they're informed by all of their early work, but also doing interesting stuff like in their later work. It's like it, I not to reference an old episode, but it's the reason that Groundhog Day won as best Bill Murray movie, because it had enough of young Bill Murray being charming and snarky and also a little bit of him as a wiser, older person. And I think that these all three of these albums have that. I don't know. What do you think? I think if I had to pick one of these three, I think Molly kind of nailed it. I, the only one that's really a movie, right, is Sgt. Pepper. Right. Where they sat down and went, we are going to tell you a story through this album. And if you listen to it any other way, it's not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's a difference between album and concept album. Where right. yeah. concept album has parts where you might skip it otherwise, but because it's part of the story, you kind of sit and listen to it and, and accept it wherever it lies, even if it starts mm-hmm. the second side mm-hmm. and is like just not great. But <laughs> I think in terms of the story of the band overall, what Revolver represents in terms of switching from, all right, we've perfected the rock part of this and sort of what our voice is. Now we're going to change it and go in new and interesting directions might make it the best album of all of them. I agree completely. I think Sgt. Pepper is a concept album that happens to have some chartable hits, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that it is still a concept album, whereas Revolver and Rubber Soul are both containers of good songs, but the statement mm-hmm. that Revolver makes is a lot stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And it has that groovy cover art. It does got that groovy cover yeah. art, which we cannot yeah. discount. Yeah. They have spaghetti hair. Like the physical album itself, the thing that you hold in your hands is the best. Whether or not you put a needle on it. It sounds good and it looks good. It looks right? Good on the yeah. shelf. And it tastes great. <laughs> Makes you look uh, smart and cultured, but not a weirdo. And that's the main statement. Exactly. <laughs> I buy paintings based on which rooms they go with. Yeah. Listen, you got to uh, launder your personality and the items you buy. Everybody knows this. Yeah. People knew this the best. <laughs> well, uh, have we have we figured it out? Yeah. 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 All right. Gold medal to revolver. Silver to rubber soul, I think. Yeah. yeah. And bronze medal to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. Mm-hmm. How, if you will, uh, stand up on the dais and proclaim. Okay. People of the world. Let me tell you how it will be. <laughs> Revolver is their best LP. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do it there because I came up with a good rhyming cover. Ah, yeah. Let it stand. Yeah. Go out on top like Seinfeld. That's right. Uh, it's their best album. I was not expecting this coming in. I was ready to mm-hmm. sort of go to the mat for Rubber Soul. But Molly nailed it in a way that only a professional musician can. Mm-hmm. Which is to, to help, like, well, your understand, like, my understanding is like, me like this album at best. But I think you pointed out rightly that this is a huge stepping stone that if you were to remove this album from their canon, you would go, how did they get from Rubber Soul to Sergeant Pepper's Pepper, Lonely yeah. Heart And it's maybe the only album you could take out almost any other album, maybe with the exception of Sergeant Pepper itself. And you can see the line. If Rubber Soul didn't exist, you might be able to get to revolver from help. You mm-hmm. might, you've, you have a better shot. That's like a less of a gap to hop over. 
But this is kind of the keystone of their entire journey as a band. The sort of battle of Yavin, how you divide Beatles time. (laughs) Yes, this is the battle. (laughs) This is the battle of Yavin of Beatles albums. (laughs) Here in the year 30 BY or no, uh, 30 RRS. JP, I have however many letters are in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, man. Used to chuff up the toffee bit in my T16 back home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's the best album. Asked and answered. That's it. Molly, thank you so much for being here. This is very exciting. Uh, Molly, you're also responsible for, as a history nerd and a medley nerd, my favorite medley of all time, which is your Lincoln medley. Well, thank you. Yeah. I thought you were going to say fingertips by the MFP Giants, which I was going to take credit for. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. No, I love that medley. I encourage all of the listeners out there to listen to all of Molly's music. She's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, where can they go to listen to your music and just to learn more about you in a safely distant way? Um, they can go to a website, which is mollylewis.wtf and whichever <laughs> internet appendage I have that is active. That'll point to it. That's so I didn't know you could get that as a dot as a what do they call them dot threes? The yeah the uh, TLDs or whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah, like um actually with the producer of this podcast, Ken Plume, we have a project called Song Along, which is a songwriting competition, and that is songalong.wtf. So <laughs> they're just <laughs> oh, cheaper than dot com. I don't know why. Right. Oh. Well, thank you for being here. This was a lot of fun. This topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets. Check out the Maximum Fun subreddit or email us at WeGotThisPodcast at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group. Talk about why you love the Beatles, your favorite albums, your favorite songs, and so forth and so on. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash We Got This Podcast. I did remember it. That's where you go for that. (laughs) You've said that over 270 something times. (laughs) At a certain point. Look, I've been inside for three months. Thank you to producer Kev Blue, researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kilman, and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world, for giving us a chance to sit down with Molly and talk about the Beatles. We love you all dearly, and as a great band once taught us, all you need is love. For Hal Loveland, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Loveland, and don't worry, everybody. We we got got this. We got this. Yay! To everyone who listens to this show, we want to thank you so much for being part of the show's community. And if you've taken that extra step to join as a MaxFund member, thank you for making this show possible. And please know how grateful we are for your support, how much it means to us, how much it's meant to us over the years, the things it's allowed us to do that we've gone into in so much detail before. But right now especially, it's helping us to figure out and find ways to bring you the same show, maybe even dumber during a very weird time. <laughs> and um, before we go, before we sign off here at the end of the Max Fund Drive, three quick things. One, if you haven't had a chance to become a member yet, you can do so at MaximumFun.org slash join. I know you've heard us say that a bunch. Two, you've also heard us say this. Don't forget to check the little box that says, We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's how uh, the good folks at Max Fund know that uh, you'd like at least a portion of your contribution to come to us. And three, thank you. Thank you for being here with us for these past five years of doing the show. Thank you for your support of the Max Fund Network, for listening to the show, for being part of this community, and for helping all of us get through these weird times together. So on behalf of Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Agliardi. And for Mark Agliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And on behalf of We Got This, thank you. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.